Hi, welcome to another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. I'm Peter Bulmer, owner of Cars Magazine and Jobber News. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring issues facing today's Canadian aftermarket professionals, sponsored by SiriusXM Canada. SiriusXM is making it possible to offer your customers three months of free satellite radio. Go to SiriusXM.ca slash four shops for details. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. As always, I'm your host, Peter Bulmer, and today I am joined again by J.D. Nye of J.D. Power & Associates. J.D., thanks for coming on. My pleasure. So I wanted to have you on today to talk a little bit about, you know, sort of diving a little bit more into your insights um, as it relates to larger trends uh, in, the, in our industry, what to expect, what you see coming down the pipeline, as I know you guys have a report that you put out that is pretty uh, comprehensive. Yeah, so the, the study that was just released last week is our CSI long-term study. It's, a, it's an evaluation of, of uh, Canadian vehicle owner behavior and satisfaction with uh, servicing their vehicles. And in that particular study, uh, we're focused in on vehicles that are between 4 and 12 years old. So, uh, well, I guess let's dive in a little bit in each part of this study here. So one thing that caught my eye is, well, we're seeing not just a strong increase in sales, around auto care, but also growth beyond sort of the 2019 pre-pandemic limit benchmark. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So de- definitely a, kind of an overarching good news story for the for the market. Historically in the study, the marketplace that we're talking about, again, kind of vehicle maintenance and service for vehicles between four and 12 years old has always hovered in and around the $10 billion, so that's billion with a B, $10 billion uh, market. Some years it would be 9.5, other years would be maybe a little below or a little above nine. Uh, and then in 20, 2019, I, I think was the first year it uh, cracked $10 billion. Now, obviously, then for our 2021 study year, we saw that really just absolutely crater down to a market value overall of $6.6 billion. Uh, and then so this year, getting back up past uh, $10 billion in, in total market value um, is certainly a nice, a nice rebound to see. Uh, and, and definitely highlights what what we thought would be the case. We couldn't be sure. Uh, we, we, we thought that you know that 2021 study year would be fairly anomalous, uh, and we're we're happy that that was that was the case. Just to, to orient your listeners around the the time frame, when I say our 2021 study, that means that that was published to our clients in August of 2021. But the service occasions that that went into making up that study and the, sort of the, the cadence is a similar year over year to go back a year. And so in the 2021 study, we were very much looking at you know service occasions that were happening in kind of the the, the worst of our you know locks down months and whatnot in, into 2020. If that sort of makes sense. And what does that include? Like, what does the study take into account? Is that uh, all kinds of repairs? Is it does it involve collision? Is it quick lube tire stuff? Is it like a kind of a screenshot of the whole industry. So yeah, we, we go out and we we gather our sample independently, usually by vehicle brand, and so we we make sure we've got a good kind of spread ac- across the the marketplace. But then we do just ask all those people, you know, where did you go for service? Uh, what month was that? What what did you have done? How much did you spend? Uh, why did you choose that location? And then for their most recent service occasion, we ask them all of the kind of customer satisfaction type questions. We ask them to rate their overall experience across a number of different attributes. Uh, they all roll up to five different sub indexes, which in turn then roll up to, to make up the overall score. 
Very good. Now, not being a data guy myself, it seems to me that it's pr- there's probably a an artificial high in terms of sales around vehicle service, just because of the pent up demand. Also, cars were sitting in driveways a lot longer. Do you think that this 10 billion plus mark is going to continue in the next couple of years, or are we going to see a slight decline? I guess, where, where do you see it uh, landing in the next one or two reports? It's a good question. That I think you're probably right in that the dollars over and above pre-pandemic levels are it's probably a bit of a like a catch-up almost. So uh, individuals that obviously weren't driving very much over the last couple of years likely put off some vehicle maintenance that uh, ought to have been completed in 2021, for example. Uh, and, and so there might be some compounding of of past vehicle maintenance that were, that was getting caught up on uh, in in the study year. Um, we also saw that. Uh, you know the impact of uh, the difficulty in buying new cars at the moment, uh, combined with the historically extremely high prices of, of used vehicles, we, we think we're, we're seeing some Canadians hold on to vehicles a, a little bit longer than they might uh, have traditionally, which obviously then carries with it um, some added, usually some added uh, repair and maintenance bills, and then obviously just the the general uh, inflationary pressures that that we're all experiencing likely all contributed to the the increase in top line revenue and, and, and top line sales. So whether all of those factors uh, remain present in the next couple of studies, uh, you know, probably not. I think we're, we're all hoping inflation is, is tamed sooner, sooner rather than later. New cars become plentiful again and uh, used car pricing returns to, to more historical norms. But we're into a few years of you know, kind of all of those problems. So it, they may not be subsiding as, as quickly as we'd, we'd like to see. So I guess that was a sort of a, a, a long-winded, uh, I don't know, but we'll wait and see to your, your fairly straightforward question. <laughs> yeah. Well, you brought up something that I wanted to mention also. Because of the sort of slowdown, the sort of bottleneck and supply chain issues that have been plaguing automakers, obviously they haven't been able to supply cars like they used to. And consumers haven't been able to get the new vehicles, whether it's because of they literally just can't, or the, the prices shot up to such a degree that they can't afford a new car. But as we sort of get that return in normalcy from 12 to 36 months from now kind of outlook, what effect is that going to have on the four to 12-year-old segment on like how you classify your um, your studies? I think you know as Canada returns to more normalized levels of, of sales, you will see people kind of go back to exiting out of their vehicles at, at a sort of more, more normal time frame. So I, I think in our, our power information network database, we're seeing that, you know, the average age of a trade-in vehicle is somewhere between six, uh, or historically was between six and a half and, and seven years. Okay, that kind of means for the most part, you know, people wrap up paying for their new car, enjoy driving it payment-free for, for a year and then get bored and, uh, and get back into the market. We, we think just based on the, uh, the supply crunch that we, we have seen people uh, hold on to those vehicles for a little bit longer, not least of which because for a couple of years, they're those used vehicles that might typically be driven 20, 25,000 kilometers a year were driven 10,000 kilometers in that year. So it, it definitely expanded the lifetime kind of usability of, of that vehicle for a lot of people. So I think as as new car inventory starts to, to ramp back up, we'll, we'll see kind of a, a return to more normal uh, kind of use cycles. That, that doesn't necessarily pretend negatively for revenues in, in the aftermarket. Uh, I think in general, more cars 
should mean more more revenue just in, in general as the carport as the car park grows that should be should be good things so i i think even if usage and, and trade-in um, kind of profiles return to the, what we were used to seeing in say 2019 added vehicles should continue to support a, a market that is worth you know in the range that we're, that we're seeing this year right and i wanted to touch on also the difference in the independent aftermarket versus the dealer side. It seems like your report saying that the the dealer side is kind of rebounding, it's doing a lot better, and that the independent aftermarket isn't kind of following that quick recovery or it seems maybe they're in trouble. What's going on here? Yeah, I mean I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say trouble, but I know in you know last year's study was met with you know some some fanfare on the aftermarket side of the house. Uh, because it, it what we what we saw there is that the aftermarket had reversed really kind of a decade old trend of new car dealers clawing back tiny bits of incremental market share year over year um, and so for by market share in that context I'm, I'm talking about the the share of revenue in the aftermarket or in, in the total marketplace the the aftermarket still enjoys a slight advantage when it comes to the market share of service occasions so if we take a look at all the service occasions that are conducted, on vehicles that are between four and 12 years old, the aftermarket still grabs about 53% of those occasions, but dealers uh, grab a, a disproportionately large percentage of, of the revenue uh, associated with all of those occasions. So just talking about revenue market share, last year's study saw uh, the aftermarket grab back a chunk of that lost revenue market share. And, and, and so that was obviously very good news for, for the aftermarket side of the, of the house. I think as I recall my comments at the time, uh, I, you know, I, I felt like a bit of a wet blanket saying it, but I, I, I did kind of point out when, when asked that that was the first we'd seen of that in quite some time. And, and it remained to be seen whether that was the start of a new trend or you know, once, once things got back to kind of a, a you know, quote unquote normal, would we, see, would we just see kind of a, a return to the, the, the more uh, historical trend? And what we did see, I guess, in the 2022 results is that, yes, it looks like dealers are kind of now back, uh, not quite all the way back to the full revenue share that they enjoyed in, say, 2019 uh, or 2020. When I, I believe they, 2019 or 2020, I think they maxed out at 60% of the revenue associated with, with this marketplace. Uh, and this year, they're, they're at 58% after dipping to 56%, I believe, in the 2021 study. So, not quite back to the high water mark, and so the the aftermarket has retained a little bit more of of the dollars. Uh, and I shouldn't say a little bit. You know, each incremental one percent of revenue market share you know represents hundreds of millions of dollars. But uh, the dealer side of the house it is kind of moving back to towards you know where we we saw them pre pandemic. Yeah, and well, I guess would it be fair to say because you mentioned that the service occasion visits still skewed heavily towards the independent aftermarket. So is it like the complexity of the job probably that's leading that revenue share? Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's still whether right or wrong, uh, owners will, will have a perception that you know if, if it's a if it's a big repair or something very technical, then they they would rather bring that that vehicle back to the quote unquote you know factory uh, essentially. Whereas the the aftermarket does very well um, and continues to do very well in service occasions that are are, are a little bit more convenience based. And I guess this is going to kind of lead me nicely into the last thing I wanted to pick your brain on, which is sort of a multi-part question, but 
what does the actual market need to do to improve to kind of capture more of a you know revenue share over the dealers? Where are the weak spots in the actual market and where are the strengths that dealers have that are that's probably contributing to this? Well, I, first I would point out that you know the, the number one service brand overall in this year's study was uh, was Napa Auto Pro. Um, so congrats to the, the folks at Napa. And so it's it's not so much that the aftermarket and aftermarket players can't compete with dealerships um, from a from a customer satisfaction standpoint. Uh, a, a number of them compete very well. So that Napa, like I said, is number one. If we were to rank independent shops as as one kind of unit, which obviously we can't do for pretty clear reasons, but if they if they were represented as one sort of brand. They, they would easily be in the top five as well. Great Canadian oil change on the aftermarket side uh, is, is very highly ranked. So it, it, it's not that the aftermarket can't compete uh, with dealers. They just have to do it differently. One kind of surprising finding we had this year was brand new to the study. We inserted what we're calling kind of a, a trust index in this year's study. Uh, it's a, an amalgam of questions that that delve into well, like the, that shop's uh, ability to, you know, to build trust with its customers. And the, the trust index, um, just it, it isn't just something we're inserting into our automotive studies. Uh, it's something we're putting into all of our studies across JD Power. So uh, I think we will have a pretty interesting data set to look at in, in a couple of years on, on that front. But one of the really surprising uh, findings that we had from that trust battery this year, as it pertains to auto service, was the importance of, of a first impression uh, when it comes to the facility uh, on building customer trust and, and ultimately then longer term loyalty. And so things like <clears throat> making sure that the facility is cleaner than the customer expected uh, is a big driver of trust and making sure that the like areas like the like the waiting area, the amenities offered are are better or more comfortable than the customer expected. These are kind of small small things that that frankly I think as as a practice lead I think we've overlooked uh, over the last couple of years uh, or the last little while. And as it turns out, as, as we start to dig into this new analytical pathway, it is really eye-opening to see you know, just how important that, you know, that first impression can be. It's something small, but, and I think the key kind of linchpin there is better than expected. And so as an aftermarket shop or an owner, you know, your customers don't expect your facility to be a Lexus dealership. They know you're not a Lexus dealership. But what is important is that you you strive to exceed their expectations. And so, as I was telling a group of uh, dealers actually just the other day, it, it's not about you know looking at the best possible car dealership or you know it, it's it's not about chasing perfection. It, it's about making incremental improvements and, and making sure that when your customer walks into your facility, it, it does exceed those expectations. And if you can do that. You know, then from a from a customer satisfaction standpoint, which, which does all of our numbers every year correlate really nicely with you know the, to to tell the story that increased customer satisfaction increases your longer term you know locked in. I'm definitely coming back to that shop loyalty, and and so by exceeding expectations, sometimes in, in very small areas, uh, it, it it can make a, make a big difference. Yeah, that's a really interesting kind of data set to examine. That's somewhere that I think. You know, for decades, the aftermarket has been plagued with sort of that lack of trust or that lack of, well, I mean, all those factors you mentioned, the the waiting area, the cleanliness, you know, that's something that dealers, I think, have historically always had an advantage in. Like they've recognized that very early, but as well, they have a longer sort of cycle with the customer, right? Like you're buying your car there, 
you're getting a service there for the first three years, basically when you're still under warranty. So there's that opportunity to build up trust that the aftermarket doesn't really get. So it's a lot more important, I think, and we've been saying this for years, is to get it right the first time. The first impressions matter. And you don't have, because you don't have the luxury of people coming back and back and back that the warranty allows you, you know, on the dealer side. Yeah. I, although I, what, what our numbers show uh, quite frequently is that the, the oftentimes that the first defection, an owner's first defection away from their brand or away from the dealership, you know, in, in Canada, it's for getting winter tires on or, you know, combining the winter tire change with a, an oil change like those those kind of um, yeah. calendar convenience-based service occasions. But what the, the data does show is that if a customer arrives at a shop like a Napa Auto Pro for the, for the first time for one of those convenience-based, you know, you know, anyone can kind of do this job kind of work. If they're impressed with that work, they're actually, uh, which if they go to kind of a top-tier aftermarket location, they, they tend to be, that, that customer does then begin to trust that shop with more and more work. Your listeners are on the on the aftermarket side, but you know, we, we, the, I know from our work that we do uh, on the OE dealer side of the the world, you know, they're they're very focused on you know on stopping that first visit outside of their network, right? Because because the that first visit, if the customer is really impressed with an aftermarket location, that they are much more likely to continue to kind of incrementally cheat more and more of their uh, service business in 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 that direction, and and so the. Those those first impressions, uh, specifically for aftermarket locations, are, are critical. Yeah, that's not surprising at all, and you know, kind of makes sense. Now, I don't want to keep you all day, uh, but is there anything else about the study you wanted to highlight, or you think is very valuable that we didn't touch on? No, I, I think the, I think that sort of covers the the high points. Uh, I did want to to point out that um, the last time I was on your podcast, you asked me at the end what what my kind of go to money is no uh, no factor car. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure I misspoke, and I said like a 1960s 360 Ferrari GTO. That's not a car; uh, it's a 250 GTO. I've, I've been thinking about that for a year. That <laughs> um, your listeners would would think like this person doesn't know anything about the car business. Um, so I, I, I'm pretty sure I misspoke on that one. Well, it only took us a year, but we did get the correction. You heard it here first, folks. All right. Thank you, thank you for giving me that opportunity. Anytime. You're welcome back anytime. That's going to take us for another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. Thanks for tuning in. This has been another episode of Auto Service World Conversations with your host, Peter Bowler. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. And thank you, as always, to SiriusXM Canada for being our title sponsor.